Welcome to the Grabs Podcast, where we bring the stories of real-life rescues on the fire ground to you firsthand from those involved. I'm Grant Schwalbe. I'll be your host today. With me, I've got George Kleiman and Chris Doloff from Bristol, New Hampshire. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Um, Chris, why don't you run down, uh, your, tell us about your fire department and uh, what kind of staffing you guys have, and, and so the listeners can get kind of an idea of what we're dealing with. Yeah, so we're a small central New Hampshire fire department located almost right in the center of the state. Um, we're a combination fire department. There's uh, two members, 24-7, 365. Uh, we also have a full-time fire chief who works days. Uh, we also have a day firefighter's position as well. So during the week, uh, during the daytime period, there's uh, usually three members here. Now that, you know, days off and stuff might, might mess with that a little bit. Um, and then we have a call staff. Uh, that of active call staff of probably 10, eight to, eight to yeah. 10 active call staff members. Um, and then we also, what's a little different with us too, is we also run a student intern program with the local tech college. Um, so when the school's in session, uh, we have either two or three students that uh, live here uh, while they're going to school. So, and that again, obviously mixes around class times and class schedules, whether they're here or available or not. So. So on any given call, you could be uh, just have a different hodgepodge of, of people working together. How, how do you guys uh, train or set up your fire ground uh, with that in mind? Yeah, so on, on any given day, we could have two going out or we could have uh, we could have five going out if all the students and everybody are here. You know, or if the full time staff's out on the ambulance or waiting on uh, potentially waiting on call staff to come in to staff that first election. So it's really kind of uh, all over the map. So what's the time delay from that first unit going out to them getting back up? Usually, by the time we see a second new engine company from our department, we call staff, it's five to six minutes. Um, but we also, uh, as soon as we go for any sort of reported building fire smoke in the building, our two, two of our neighboring communities are started, started automatically uh, to, for station coverage, if you will. And that's basically just to get uh, people and wheels rolling um, so that, you know, when we do get, when we get there and there is something there that much closer to, to being on the road and, and being able to give us, you know, that second or third new engine potential. So. We're a small department. We run two engines and a quint, a couple of buses. Um, and we run, I hate to say kind of odd, we run city style for a small department where we run engine ladder engine usually. And um, I know you'll probably ask, we, we do kind of divvy up our riding assignments. You know, the second due company uh, for us, whether it's the ladder company or in the rural, if it's our second due engine, uh, we usually assign them to, to back up the first due engine and or search depending on staffing that day shows up so and what kind of stuff do you guys do for search training or what's the search culture like uh for you guys in bristol i think uh, so we do training throughout the year different types different different styles of search we have we do do some ves stuff we are fairly aggressive in and when we are you know teaching search and that it is you know high on our priority list you know, really number two, because we're, we're a one line, you know, we're really a one line fire department, you know, where if you're showing up with two guys, uh, you know, maybe three in the backups, you know, four or five minutes away, um, you know, we're trying to get that first line, strategy, the hazard, and then search off the line. 
there. Um, if we're having a good day and, and there's a bunch of people hanging around, you know, then the first two engines responsible for the line and the, the latter company or the second two engines responsible for the search. So um, we do try to try to be as aggressive as we can with it. So. Yeah, just because I bet a lot of listeners are wondering, not faced with the same kind of staffing limitations you guys have. You roll up on two on the engine. How is that task getting, divvy, getting divvied up? Is the engineer set, setting the pump and going inside or with the with the firefighter or what? Yeah, we, we really push our pump operators and our engineers here to be active members of the fire ground. So the expectations that they roll out of here in, in full gear um, and then when they get there and they get, you know, the first line gets stretched, they get the pump set. You know, when they get their feeder line into them is to grab a pack and a tool and then work their way up to the line uh, because nobody else there is a backup person. So we do kind of operate in that kind of scary world, if you will, of dead manning the pump sometimes. But that's that's the situation and the reality of, of what we're in. So um, this particular day was a little was a little different. These the full time staff runs 24 48s with a Kelly day. So we do backfill with some per diem staff and, and that can get a little dicey sometimes, um, depending on uh, on who that is. So, and this day in particular was kind of one of those dicey days, if you will. So, so take us back to that dicey day, August fifteenth, twenty twenty, and uh, give us the rundown. What happened? Yeah. So the call came in at uh, two eighteen in the afternoon on, in August on a Saturday. Uh, so Saturdays, uh, we talked about Kelly days are our firefighters Kelly day. Uh, our firefighters are lucky enough to never work a Saturday. <laughs> so we fill that with per diem staff, which is generally our call members. Um, so Captain Clayman was working uh, and one of our older call members uh, was filling the seat that day. He's a, he's a really good guy. He's 40 years. He's a full-time firefighter for 40 plus years and he fills in with us kind of in a pinch. So he's not going to be the most active fire ground guy from running the pump. So um, we had a call lieutenant that lived fairly close to this address and it's in our rural district. Uh, so rural water supply would also kind of played a key in this. Um, we responded out uh, and arrived. He arrived on scene in four and a half minutes and reported smoke shown from a basically 12 by 50 uh, mobile home, older mobile home. So not kind of your modern mobile home. Neighbor approached him and advised that they thought that the homeowner was still in the building. Um, he had basically heavy smoke showing from the length of the trailer and then fire showing from basically next to the Alpha side front door. Um, so this is off a little side street, maybe a couple hundred feet up from our main road. Um, so he requested a first alarm right off the bat. So that gives us about another five surrounding communities uh, mutual aid coming in. And we had already had our neighbor, one of both of our neighboring communities were started on the automatic. And um, one of them was arriving basically at the same time as our, as our first two engines. So I arrived at the same, literally at the same time as the engine, I was just ahead of them. Uh, so I got up the driveway and parked out of the way the best I could. It was an August day, so I'm in shorts and a t-shirt. And no sooner did I get out of my truck, make a face-to-face -face with the lieutenant that was there that was coming around from his 360. He said, I think we got somebody trapped. Uh, pretty sure the neighbors are quite confident he's in there. His car was in the yard. There was nobody outside. Uh, I 
turn around, the engine's literally chasing me up the driveway, laying a line from the main road. So I, I had, he asked me what he wanted him to do, the, the lieutenant that was there first. And we just had a discussion at an officer's meeting about water supply. You can have 100 firefighters, but if you don't have water, you can't put the fire out, right? So being this in the rural district, he didn't have his gear with him. Uh, I assigned him to the water supply role, which in hindsight may not have been the best thought process, but that's what I did that day. Uh, so he went down the bottom of the road and assumed the rural hitch uh, operations there. The mutual aid engine came with three people, a pump operator, a paramedic who's not a firefighter, and then a firefighter EMT. Um, they got situated and one of them walked up. So before this all happens, our first two engine shows up. I meet Captain Clayman at the door, at his driver's side, uh, officer's side door. And I said, we're going. He's in there, we're gonna go make a search. There was a door, I found a door on the Charlie side, typical trailer, you know, Alpha side door, kind of towards the Delta side, Charlie side, you know, Charlie side door, kind of towards the Bravo side uh, on the bedroom end. So he said, yeah, I got it. So I said, I'll stretch the line for you and I'll meet you around back. So he grabbed a set of tools, I grabbed the line. Uh, now mind you, I'm, this is where I make some mistakes. I'm still in shorts and a t-shirt and sneakers so i stretch the line around back and turn around you know call for water call for water nothing they were managing getting the speeder line broke so i kind of buzzed back down around and found the pump operator told him hey charge it so he charged the line and captain clayman's coming up the driveway with with set of irons in his hand ready to go and i'm like well it's go time so i can either waste a minute and a half by buzzing back to my truck and putting my gear on or i can help him the best i can help him right now which is the decision i made so in shorts and a t-shirt we go up the rear of charlie's side door is locked uh he hands me the sledge we carry sledge with our with our uh, halligan setup he hands me the sledge i pound it in we force the door the line gets charged and it's time to go. So basically zero visibility, a foot off the floor, you know, heavy boiling smokes. We had fire showing out of the alpha side by the front door. It basically turned out to be a, a kitchen fire. It's, you know, turned into a kitchen living room, basically involvement of that entire uh, alpha delta side of the trailer. So cap. I'll turn it over to him in a sec. Cap kind of, he gives a quick scan with the camera when the door's open. And uh, he's really squared away, dude. Uh, really physically fit, really squared away with his job. Glad to have him. Couldn't be happier. I met him at the door, that he was the guy coming to the door. So does a quick scan, leaves his tools at the door, doing a hands-on search. Um, leaves his camera there as well, so he's not kind of bogged down. I took the line, crouched down kind of in the corner of the door outside the best I could out of, out of any of the smoke travel as much as I could and basically sent water down the hallway towards where the fire was to try to give him as much protection and buy him time to, to kind of push the search. Um, so this was a known house to us. It was a known house to me. Is it a known house to you? I wasn't familiar with that. Okay. So it was a known house to me, this older gentleman that lives there with his uh, disabled wife. So she's wheelchair bound and has MS. Um, so we've been there for some medical calls in the past. 
So that kind of plays, I lay that down because that kind of plays into this in, in a minute. So I'll turn it over to, to Kathy here. Yeah, not much to add um, as far as kind of setting up the situation as far as the description goes. Um, I was, I'll just say I was super grateful for uh, my deputy being there and kind of being that like experienced knowledge sitting at the front door. Whether he had gear on or not, I'm uh, thoroughly convinced that him among you know the other staff that had first arrived, that was the reason that you know I was able to get in there and do what I did and then get out safely. Um, no, he kind of he kind of boiled it down for you. Got to the door, we forced entry. Um, kind of that hot rolling, boiling smoke coming out. Um, I, I learned a couple lessons that day. The first one, you know, if I kind of recite them as I go, was you know put your freaking mask on you force entry to the door um because i kind of took a gulp of that and uh that threw me off for like a few seconds um i've forced doors before i've never had that happen so i don't know if i was just kind of amped up and not paying attention but so anyways i uh got my uh got my mask on um in a pretty short amount of time i don't really have a, an exact time for you on that um was gonna i had it set in my head um and I don't really remember why I was going to do a left-hand search. Um, Chris had already profiled the building um, and, and was like, no, go right. Um, so I did a right-hand search down towards where the bedrooms were. Um, wasn't very far in, uh, zero visibility by the time I, I went across the threshold and started to make my way right. Um, came to the first bedroom, lots of stuff all over the floor that I could feel. Um, so, you know, was kind of feeling around with my hands. I kind of determined that I can't feel real well uh, with any anything else. So I really try to like kind of pick and grab as I go um, and felt a bed to my left, um, reached up, started patting the bed and didn't realize it at first, but after probably about five seconds of whacking at something, realized it was a foot. Um, so, kind of hollered down the hallway because I wasn't very far in, didn't even key up the radio, hollered down the hallway to Chris that I had somebody and was working on extricating. Um, tried to get a hold of him uh, with my gloves, tried to get a hold of his feet. Um, and, you know, not knowing the full circumstance at the time or how long he had actually been in there, um, and he was slippery and I couldn't get, I couldn't get a hold of him. Um, my, and so I tried twice to grab him by his feet that wasn't working. Um, so I took a brief moment of, okay, well, what do I do now? Um, because there was stuff everywhere in there and I couldn't really get around to the other side of the bed. So I was kind of at the foot of the bed. And so I just ended up, um, ended up crawling up on the bed with him. And I know it sounds weird, but I didn't know what else to do. So I ended up crawling up on the bed with him and just kind of bear hugging him and then rolling off the bed onto the floor. Um, I got him onto the floor and then was able to kind of get him turned around and uh, started dragging him by his shoulders, uh, kind of underneath his arm, because he wasn't a very big gentleman. Um, so I had that playing in my favor as well. He didn't have any clothes on. Um, so I started dragging him down towards the hallway. I guess kind of lesson number two for me that day, I, you know, I've reflected on it quite a bit, but lesson number two for me that day was um, that even in a short distance, when you have zero visibility, I wasn't so much disoriented as far as what wall I was on. I knew where I was, I knew what wall I was on, but I had kind of lost track of the distance that I had traveled, even though it was maybe, I don't know, 12 feet, 15 feet tops, and almost dragged them right by the open door. Um, 
Chris was, he kind of, you know, must have seen me go by and kind of yelled at me. And at the same time, I kind of look to my right because I'm dragging him backwards. And I see kind of like a light spot in the smoke. And I realized, oh, that's the doorway. Um, so I was able to get kind of turned around again and got him out the door. And uh, from there, kind of got him across the threshold. And uh, Chris was there. And I think uh, the medic from New Hampton had come up the road at that point. Just coming up, yeah. And uh, they were able to kind of get him away from the, uh, the, the, the house a little bit to try to render some care. Um, Got my kind of got my my bearings back and uh, my my stuff back together. And at that point, another crew had arrived um, on the second duty truck from us, and uh, we went back in and continued to search the rest of the uh, the building with nobody else found. Uh, later, to realize that uh, the other resident that had been a long-term resident there was no longer living there; she was at the elder care facility. Um, so yeah, that was kind of. Uh, my uh, experience in that. We didn't know that she wasn't there. So basically where he is, she is. So like George said, he brought her him across the threshold and it was kind of a, not funny, but kind of funny moment. I went, his hands are kind of up. So George is dragging him out, dragging him out. And I go to grab him and he's, George is yelling at me. He's really hot. Don't grab him because I'm a meathead, right? So I don't have anything on. I have shorts and a t-shirt and sneakers, no gloves, no nothing. So for me to reflect back in hindsight, I've, I've had to do some thought process changing on how I respond to incidents from home. So I muckle onto the guy's hands and take him from George and he's warm, but not like, you know, burn your hands warm, but he's warm. And I drag him out in the driveway and, and the fire chief and the medic from New Hampton uh, were walking up at that point. And I'm kind of yelling down the driveway. I'm like, hey, hey, hey. And they're like, you know, kind of waltzing up. And then they look and they're like, holy shit, he's got a guy. Dragging a guy across the driveway. Um, so I kind of I, I kind of put him down at that point. And the fire chief and the medic from New Hampton walk up. And he, George comes out. And I'm like, We're going, you're going back in. And he's like, what? I'm like, she's probably in there. You know, if he's here, she's here, you know, type of thing. So. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he collects it up. Like he said, there was a, a line getting stretched around the front at that point from our second new engine. Um, and they started knocking down the fire in the kitchen area. He went back in, searched the bathroom, searched another bedroom, another bedroom, a bathroom. And then like we went down the hallway as far as we could. There was still, yeah, there was still active fire at that point and they were knocking it from the alpha side. So we kind of went to that hallway threshold into where the kitchen area was and kind of got stopped there. Um, yeah, so we moved search the rest of that kind of like sleeping quarters area. At that point, I realized he wasn't going any further. So it, we kind of communicated and he came out and we kind of kind of regrouped and, and reset. But at that point, the second new company had the, had the alpha side door forced and, and had knocked a bulk of that down and were able to confirm in that rest of that living space that there was no other no other occupants um, so uh, do you guys know about what the time factor was from arrival to victim out we talked about that earlier uh, we're two or three minutes at most probably from break set to when he came out I mean it was quick I met him at the door stretched the line you know got it charged and he went in and within 
within probably what 30 seconds of you going in he had hands on him so it was probably two or three minutes from break set that we had him outside yeah that's something important i want you know we highlight on a lot of these podcasts that it takes 15 or 20 minutes to describe the story but this all happens really quick and we need to to keep the tempo up and expect victims to be out within that first you know two to five minutes that's awesome um you know i i love what you said about uh you know, number one, recognizing that you had a victim. Sometimes it's like we go in expecting a victim and then when we find them, it's like, oh, well, crap, this really is a person. Uh, it takes a second just to, to orient yourself to that. And uh, you bring up a good point about the slipperiness um, that people have when they, when they get burned. Um, that's good. Um, Chris, you brought up another good point about the chiefs arriving on scene and not getting gear on or making that decision uh what to do and i'm normally on an engine but sometimes i'm a acting battalion chief and about a year ago i ran a call and happened to be at an outline station and i got dispatched uh, i heard the radio traffic on the police scanner before we got uh, we got dispatched so i was going to be first arrival with people trapped two to four minutes before another unit arrived. And I'll tell you that that in route time was the longest time I can ever remember. Cause you think, man, this is, this is what I've been prepared for. This is it. If there's actually somebody inside, do I take the time to get the gear on and go in? Do I just go in without the gear? Do I put on half my gear? And you know, it's a real gut check moment. Um, and I look at so many chiefs now and you know, they take pictures of their buggy and how they lay out everything out. And usually like the helmet and coat are on top of the pants and the can is buried and the Halligan is buried. And after having that moment and then after hearing your story, I think Chief's got a totally plan for worst case scenario. Yeah, 90% of the time you're going to be command and doing outside stuff and not need to worry about going inside. But where you can make the most bang for your buck is if you arrive first and you got to go inside. So set up your freaking gear like the firemen set up their gear on the engine. You don't put your coat and your helmet on before your pants. Like, get it all set the right way. Do you want to talk about that for a couple minutes, or have you done anything to change your setup post-incident? Yeah, so it's, it's a little different for me. So in full disclosure, I'm the kind of call part-time deputy chief here, and I work full-time in a career department about 30 minutes south of here, a small city that's three engines, a truck, three buses. Um, and I'm an acting engine captain down there. So we kind of, I kind of have both worlds of this thing happening. So in my pickup truck, he, I, so this is my private vehicle. Fire chief's full time. I'm, I'm kind of call part time. So this is my private vehicle. So in my private vehicle, I have two totes. I have my air pack set up and I have my gear set up. And I have, I, I was doing the same exact thing because of the way that it fit in the tote that I had. So I have flip flop by putting my pants on top and have made it a point now that when I'm leaving for, for anything like that, that I'm, I, before I leave the house, I'm at minimum putting my, my hitch on. And then, uh, you know, so that I can get my coat and helmet on, you know, quicker. But this was such a bang, bang play, if you will, you know, to use a sports analogy that I didn't even, I just, I just made self subconscious decisions to say, holy shit, they're right, they're literally right here. Like, I thought I was going to have 25, 30, 40 seconds, you know, to, to, to go back to my truck after I did, a, you know, like a half-ass 360. 
on the Charlie side door. I'm like, wow, they're here. So he's the only guy. You know, my the pump operator that day. Um, you know, nothing nothing bad with him. He's an older guy, and he's not going to be the most active pump operator on the scene like our full time guys would be. So that kind of played a hitch into this. And it was the middle of summer as well um, on on a Saturday. So there was no day guy. You know, like we have Monday through Friday, and there were no students hanging around. So it was like our if you will, our kind of almost worst case scenario that it's just the first two arriving, you know, and that, and then me, and that's it. And they were right there. And I, I, I didn't have anything. I've, I've made some other changes where I at least have a, you know, a pair of gloves. I grabbed knuckled onto this guy with my bare hands, his skin sloughing off. Um, what we found out afterwards uh, is that this was kind of a weird property dispute situation. So this, unfortunately, this, this gentleman had actually um, done some bodily harm to himself before the fire. Uh, his cause of death is, was smoke inhalation, uh, but he had, had done some, some bodily harm to himself, if you will, uh, which also, as I realized, I muffled on to him with my bare hands, was, was also became an issue uh, later on. Um, so as far as, as that goes, but yeah, I've, I've changed the way that I, I have set my stuff up and where I respond and kind of my, my thought process behind that. So. Very cool. Uh, George, has this changed anything you're doing now with your crews uh, that you may or may not work with the same partner each day, any conversations you guys are having now on how to deal with it, limited staffing, if you get this again? Um, yeah, I've been listening to your podcasts, which is awesome. Those have been helpful in our drills, but no, really, we've been um, really placing emphasis just on uh, like kind of like the five minute drills. Every time we're on shift, uh, we pick something that's just basic and we just drill it. So it becomes second nature to us. So we don't have to be thinking about that. I think that we have been doing that prior to this incident, obviously, um, but we placed a greater emphasis on that. Um, and I think, you know, the, the more you have just kind of the basics drilled into you, the better a situation like that goes because you can troubleshoot the things that you didn't think of um, instead of having to think about the things that you're supposed to know how to do anyways. Um, and I guess the other thing was just, uh, you know, landmarking for myself. Um, I went ahead and I, uh, I purchased myself like a right angle, another right angle light for my gear um, and a smaller one that I can keep, um, you know, kind of with my radio and stuff with the intention, and I haven't had the chance to put it into practice. Um, I've heard a couple of guys talk uh, both on your, your show and, you know, in other scenarios, you know, that sometimes they'll landmark a door with a Halligan um, or even, you know, one guy mentioned glow sticks. Um, but it's kind of my intention. If, if I ever have to be in that situation to go where I'm the sole um, person kind of going in for that initial life safety search and going to rescue mode, so to speak, um, that I'm going to take a box light from the engine and uh, put it on flash mode and just stick it at the door. So my hope is, and again, you know, I haven't put it into practice, but hope is, is that I at least trip over it, you know, if I'm still in zero visibility conditions by the time I come back by it. We have a lot of small, you know, mobile homes, uh, small single story houses that we go into that that scenario could very easily play out. I had been on a call uh, probably like two years prior to this, where we actually got called for a, uh, a, a they thought it was a brush fire because it was out in the middle of the woods. It ended up being a mobile home fire. 
and we ended up doing a you know a vent vendor uh, search through uh, a bedroom window in that. Um, and I remember, uh, you know, didn't have that same problem with kind of you know being oriented because um, I was only searching a small bedroom and then made my way right back to that window. Uh, but I realized that this could very easily happen to me again. So uh, that's something I'm going to try to put into practice. But. Yeah, that also brings up a good point that most of the time a drag is only going to take one, one person and uh, to have that officer be oriented because we do lose, lose our, our spatial distancing on the way out. So it's helpful to have somebody grab onto your airbag and just lead you out and let one person do the, the humping and the other figure the way out. Well, guys, I definitely appreciate you sharing the story with the listeners. Um, if you make a grab or assist alive or deceased, please go to www.firefighterrescuesurvey.com and take the short survey. That information is for us, by us, and updated real time. If you want to share your story with our podcast, reach out to me, Grant Schwalbe, Nick Ledeen, or Justin McWilliams. And again, we thank you for listening. 